Welcome to Highland Objects, podcasts that take you on a cultural tour of the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Highland Objects or visit the website highlandobjects.wordpress.com. Podcast 23 Spitterfield's 18th Century Silk Long Slack Dress. My name is Rebecca Olds. I am a dress historian specialising in the cut and construction of 18th century women's dress. Today I'm going to share a little more with you about the silk brocade dress that is in the collection of the Glencoe Folk Museum, which you can see here in the Highland Threads exhibition, and which we hope you will come visit in person later this year when the museum reopens. I am going to call it a gown today, rather than a dress, as that's what this category of women's clothing was called back in the 18th century. The gown was donated to the Glencoe Folk Museum back in the early 1970s, soon after it opened its doors. The gown had been passed down through the donor's family. Its early history has been lost. However, the donor understood that the original wearer's family were Jacobite supporters in the 18th century. While that tidbit does not seem to have a direct connection to the gown itself, it may give us some leads on research to find the original family, from which we may learn a little more about who wore this gown, where she might have worn it, and whether that was here in the Glencoe area or elsewhere. The gown is a style known in the 18th century as a long sack in English, or robe à la française in French. It is fitted at the front of the body with a softly squared neckline. Below the waist, the skirts have a gap, through which a contrasting petticoat can be seen. The skirts of the gown itself are pleated at the waist and fall in graceful folds to the floor. The back of the gown is very full, gathered at the top neckline in two sets of deep, wide pleats, and then allowed to fall freely to the floor shaped into a slight train that very lightly rests on the floor. The sleeves are a simple straight shape that end at the elbows. A lace ruffle has been attached to the hem of each sleeve. Along the neckline are fragments of a fine intricate trim called passementry in French, sometimes referred to as fringe or fly fringe by English speakers today. Passementry was very popular on gowns of this style in the 1760s. It was made with silk threads using a knotting shuttle, with a technique related to but not quite the same as tatting. All sorts of complicated designs could be knotted using this method. This passementry is moderately fancy, and originally the gown might have had a lot more of it. The front edges of the gown's skirts are trimmed with a strip of the same fabric as the gown, about two to three inches wide, folded into box pleats, and these pleated strips are edged with more passementry. Originally, the gown would have had a petticoat in the same fabric as the gown. Sadly, that has not survived. The petticoat we have today is, however, an antique in its own right, being a twill-woven silk in a soft aqua colour, with tiny white flowers with gold leaves tumbling across its surface. 
What makes this gown especially beautiful is the high-quality silk from which it is made. It is a brocaded silk, with clusters of flowers sprinkled across a creamy ivory background. There are two main motifs or designs of flowers. These are not painstakingly realistic depictions of flowers. Rather, they are stylized, a bit impressionistic. Each design resembles a wee bouquet, such that you would pick and hold in your hand. The larger of the two designs has one large bloom that might be meant to be a dahlia, with three smaller flowers arranged around it, these suggesting a rose and possibly two kinds of asters, all in varying shades of rosy pinks. This overall design is about the size of your hand. The smaller design has three small buds that vaguely resemble possibly a thistle or clover. They're not very realistic. In fact, one historian has observed it could be a thistle if the designer had read about thistles but hadn't seen one in real life. Each wee bouquet has a spray of greenery around it, further framed by more leaf designs in the same creamy colour as the background, essentially tone on tone, and this all adds texture and dimension to the overall look of the fabric. The background itself has a slightly moire appearance in some lights, again adding to the overall effect of a high-quality and expensive fabric. Neither this gown nor the silk from which it is made is intended for the very grandest of occasions or company, such as an official function in the royal court, but rather for social occasions, such as dinners and balls of the Scottish gentry, of which a prominent Glencoe family was no doubt a part. The lady wearing this gown experienced a sense of elegant luxury that appealed to all the senses. She would surely have been greeted with smiles of pleasure as she met with friends and acquaintances at an evening dinner party. In candlelight, the entire gown would glow, enhancing the face of its wearer as she chatted and laughed with her dinner companions, basking in the serene confidence that she looked very well indeed. After dinner, she would rise from the dinner table in a soft rustle of silk skirts, and that rustle would accompany her as she gracefully moved on to the evening's entertainment perhaps a few rounds of cards, followed by dancing in the gallery of her host's large home. What else might this lady have worn with her rustling silk gown? When Our Lady dressed in this gown to attend a dinner or dance, she would first have her hair fully dressed, or styled as we would say today, using powder, which was part of her normal toilette anyway to keep her hair clean and healthy, plus pomade, which acted as a styling agent similar to wax. Before donning her silk gown, she would already have on a linen shift, fully boned stays, skirt supports likely in the form of pocket hoops, which gave the wider hip silhouette fashionable in this time period. She would be wearing stockings tied with garters and shoes with elegantly curved Louis heels. The uppers of her shoes were likely also made of silk and may even have matched the fabric of her gown. She would wear an under-petticoat, possibly two, and then over these would go the petticoat of the same fabric as the gown, and then the gown itself. And then there would be her millinery, or what we today would call accessories. She might choose from an assortment of matching sets that she owned, each called a suit in the period. Such a suit usually included something to be worn in the neckline area, something at the ends of her sleeves, and something on her head. 
These could vary a great deal according to the time period, the place, the current fashion, and her personal taste. But for a nice dinner party with entertainment, she may have styled her silk brocade gown with a suit of fine lace, a tiny cap with long lappets perched on her dressed hair, lace basted in around the neckline of her gown, nicely setting off the passementry trim, and then gathered frills of lace basted into the ends of her sleeves. The lace that is there now is not original and is not nearly as fully gathered as the 18th century fashion, yet it gives us a feel for how a lace suit, as I have described, really finishes the look of the gown. You can just imagine how splendid Our Lady looked once everything was in place. Oh yes, and she might pop in a pair of earrings before dashing out the door. Can you see glimpses of Our Lady as she prepares for the party, swishes down the hall, gets into her carriage, alights at her destination full of anticipation of every pleasure, greets her friends, dines on fine foods in candlelight, surrounded by the shimmer of silks all around the table as she and her family and friends enjoy conversation and laughter amidst the clink of glasses and silverware? If this vision of life in the Scottish Highlands surprises you, then we hope this gown entices you to learn more. As indeed the Glencoe Museum and everyone in the Highland Threads team is likewise intrigued. We know very little of this gown's past, yet the quality of the material, the style that was once so fashionable, all the hints of a woman's life, a woman who lived right here, in the Scottish Highlands, whose story has not yet been told. We do not know if we will ever learn who she was or hear her story. But meanwhile, her gown is here, as her legacy. And the gown is now old, very old, over 250 years old. The glorious silk is beginning to shatter in places, and the risk of damage is ever-present every time the gown is handled. This lovely, fragile gown, a voice from the past, needs our help. Our dream would be to obtain a custom-made conservation mannequin that would fully support the fabric and the structure to prevent further damage. But first and foremost, a full conservation assessment is needed before we can apply for conservation funding to ensure all steps are taken to protect this gown, to preserve it a little longer for the enjoyment of our own and future generations. And please, come visit us. Highland Objects is brought to you by Expo North Heritage, which is supported by Museums and Heritage Highland, Museums Gallery Scotland, Creative Scotland, Highlands and Islands Enterprise and Historic Environment Scotland.